Well, we're going to look today at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And this is, uh, well, let me read this. Let me pray first, and then we'll read it and get into it. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your presence with us today. And just bring out your word, speak to each one of us, and grow us, Lord, so that we might glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Today we're going to talk about overcoming. How many of you want to be overcomers? All right, good. I, well, I should see every hand. Wait, where's every, okay, there. We all want to be overcomers, but how do you overcome, especially in a world that's so daunting and so haunting and, and heavy at times, and, uh, and especially when there are things happening out there that are contrary to what faith is all about and being uh, the Lord's child and doing the Lord's will. And, and sometimes people frown on that in our culture, but this passage was speaking of those who were actually martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot to learn because you may not become a martyr in which you are going to actually lay down your life, but in a spiritual sense, we have to love not our lives unto the death. And we have to have a testimony. And it's all because of the blood of the Lamb. And so as we go into uh, this Holy Week, this is the Palm Sunday, Hosanna, they said as, as he rode in on a donkey. This is uh, his story. Jesus' story was overcoming. He, he, he went into Jerusalem, and on the foal of a donkey, the colt, what do you call it, foal or colt, the, the donkey, that was the word of his testimony. That was spoken of in Zechariah 8, 9, that the king would come in on a donkey. He loved not his life unto the death. He went into his passion this week with his eyes focused on something that was very hard to do. But why? Because he wanted to serve a higher cause. He wanted to serve... God's will, not, not man's will, and he went to his death, loving not his life unto the death. And then he overcame death on the cross. He shed his blood, which was our overcoming, because he shed his blood for us, and he rose again, overcome. Now that's, that's the Passion Week. Now we're also celebrating Passover. Passover is... Uh, along the same lines. In Passover, they, they put the blood over the doorposts. And that blood spoke to the destroying angel, you must not touch this group here. This was the overcoming of the Israelites who didn't deserve anything, but the Lord was protecting them by the power of the blood over their doorposts. And then they were commanded to have a Passover meal every year. Why? This was a testimony to remember what God had done. And so uh, there's power, there's strength by the blood and the testimony. And Revelation adds, by loving not your life unto the death. So we're going to look at each of these, but the blood, the blood is powerful. It cleanses, it protects, it has purchased us, it has redeemed us. And the blood is our testimony. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, it says in Hebrews 9. Verse 22. But this isn't just a theological concept. That's why we're talking about overcoming today. It's not, the blood is not a theological concept. 
you have to apply the blood if you want to be an overcomer. Now, what does this mean? Do we, does it mean we have to put the blood over our doorposts? No, you, you obviously can't put blood over your doorposts. You can't go and make bloody sacrifices at the temple anymore, but you can apply the blood by faith. And what does that mean? You can appropriate the blood to your life in which you are affected by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are protected. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. It is, it is something that changes you and brings about a testimony. And we'll look at each one of these. And then it leads ultimately to yielding your life, not to your own will, but to God's will. And we'll look at that too. So first, let's talk about the blood. And I learned about the blood, for all you biologists in here, there's four things that the blood, that blood does. All right? Blood, number one, brings oxygen to cells. Blood, number two, takes away toxins and poisons from your cells. Okay? And three, blood brings nutrients to your different parts. And four, blood fights infections and heals. And the Bible says there's life is in the blood. So each of these we could say spiritually, the blood of Jesus brings oxygen to our cells. That means the blood of Jesus made the way for life to come into us, eternal life. It takes away toxins and poisons. The blood cleanses us from our sins. The sins can't affect us. The toxins, the poisons, they're all washed away by the blood. And that's what uh, number four fights infections and, and heals. And also the blood brings nutrients. It's through the blood that we get the nutrients of the word, that the word can affect us. It's more than just reading it, saying, oh, that's nice. But because the blood was shed, we can have that word become a, a life empowering force within us, the, the word, the seed of God that bears fruit in our lives. So those are great things. Four things the blood does, remember? brings oxygen to the cells. It takes away toxins and poisons. It brings nutrients, and it fights infections and heals. But there's a fifth thing that the blood does as well. What's that? The, the blood speaks. You guys ever hear blood speaking? Did you ever cut yourself and the blood said hello? No. Now, usually it's us speaking. We cut ourselves, we say, ouch, right? But in the Bible, it talks about the blood speaking. And the blood speaks to God, the blood speaks to Satan, and the blood speaks to us. And let's consider these. First, the blood speaks to God. In Hebrews 12, verse 24, it says that you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Okay? So there's the blood speaking, the blood of the new covenant, speaking better things than that of Abel. So we learn from this verse that Abel's blood spoke as well. All right, so what was Abel's blood speaking? In Genesis 4.10, uh, the Lord is addressing Cain, and he says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. There's the blood speaking. Voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the, the ground. Now, we're not told exactly what that blood said, but we can just get the implication, right? That blood was speaking retribution. Avenge me. I've been wrongly taken out. 
justice. Do something. Right? Well, the verse in Hebrews tells us that the blood of the new covenant speaks better than that. The blood of the new covenant doesn't speak retribution. It speaks reconciliation in which we, uh, different from Abel, Abel did not deserve to be cast to the ground by Cain. We deserve to be cast into eternal darkness because of our sin separating us from God. But the blood of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus, speaks a better thing than justice. Mercy triumphs over justice, it says in the book of James. The blood speaks mercy, reconciliation. You are reconnected to the Father when there was no hope because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news. The blood speaks good news. And that was spoken to the Lord. When the Lord sees the blood, it said at Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass over this house. When the Lord sees Jesus' blood, he sees you through the blood. He filters out all your impurities, takes away the toxins and poisons, and he, and he looks at you cleansed through the blood. Because the blood is speaking, this one I bought. So, in the same sense, this blood speaks to Satan. Just as the blood spoke to the destroying angel in the Passover, do not touch this house. And it speaks to Satan, go no further. Satan only has so much on his leash that he can do, but he cannot harm the saints of God. He cannot give you his worst. And he is a defeated foe. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood and cleansed us, gave us authority over the devil. We don't have to take as much as the devil gives us. Quite often we, we take more than we should be taking. We ought to stand up and say, the blood of Jesus over me, the blood of Jesus has covered me, and devil has no right to touch me in this area. Be gone. And, the, and some people plead the blood of Jesus in their prayers. They claim the blood of Jesus. Whatever you want to say, plead, claim, whatever. You don't even have to say it, but you're coming in Jesus' name under the blood. You're applying the blood, spiritually speaking, by faith, and you are God's protected, and you are God's cleansed. And the blood speaks to Satan that way. You cannot touch. But it also speaks to Satan in another way, in which it says to him, basically, shut up. All right, we don't like to say shut up in our home. Do you guys? We don't, we don't, that's not polite. But if you're talking to Satan, you can say shut up, right? In uh, Revelation 12, verse 9 and 10, um, the verse right before the verse we're looking at, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So what this is saying, and you know, some people have some different interpretations about this. I really believe that this is talking about when Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, that was the time that the accuser was cast down and no longer has access to the throne of God. You'll recall from the book of Job, Satan was running around up there with the rest of them, accusing the saints before God. Look at Job, he only, he only worships you because you're so good to him and things like that. Pointing out our sins and our failures and saying, look at this. But when Jesus ascended, this is what it's talking about. The devil no longer has God's ear at the throne. 
God's not listening to him. The blood has said to the devil, shut up. Now, the devil still gets to God, though. How? Through people. We speak the accusations. We talk. We, we spread his gossip. We spread his rumors, his lies, his accusations. And that's one thing to be mindful of. If you want to be an overcomer, you've got to make sure that you're speaking along the lines of Jesus and not along the lines of the devil. There's so much hatred out there. There's so much vitriol out there. so much bitterness out there that we can actually be mouthpieces for Satan. Satan can't speak directly to God, but he can speak to us and influence us and, and get into our minds and even get into our hearts, and we'll start speaking his words, and it's, it's a damaging force. Our words, we're going to learn, have value, and they have power to make things go the way God wants them to go. We speak the word of God. We don't speak the accusations of Satan. And if Satan's accusations against you are silenced, then your own self-accusations should be silenced. How many of you beat yourselves up because you know you, you could do better? You beat yourselves up because you missed it this time. You beat yourself up because things aren't the way you, you want them when you look at yourself and say, what have I done? These are self-accusations that just keep you down. This is what Satan wants. The blood has silenced those accusations. So if the blood silences Satan, the blood also should silence us. And instead of bringing forth self-accusations, we should turn those temptations into the, the praise and worship of God and the thanksgiving to God because he is the one that took care of these things that we are beating ourselves up over. We remember and we have to speak the things that God speaks and not what Satan is saying to us. And you feel the weight of guilt? You feel down? Well, you don't continue in what made you guilty. You turn to the Lord say, thank you, Lord. You took that guilt. And because of the blood, I'm free and forgiven and reconciled to God. That's applying the blood spiritually. And that's bringing forth uh, your, the fruit in your life. I want to get to that. That's testimony. But I want to say one more thing about the blood speaking. It speaks to us of God's love, obviously. But Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 13, that greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So this is what Jesus spoke to his disciples. And that's a great thing to lay down your life for your friends and to love one another like that. At least they were his friends. But in our case, and in their case too, really, it's, it's summed up in Romans 5.8. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus was talking about friends laying down their life for another. That's great love. But even goes further, greater love, that he lays down his life for sinners. That, again, this is the blood that speaks reconciliation. We were not seeking God. God was seeking us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever who is at enmity with God, whoever has turned their back on God, whoever has run in the wrong direction, God so loved the world that he died for them. He died for the sinners. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends, but the greatest love is Jesus Christ laying down his life for his enemies and then making them his friends. Amen. 
So it's also his care. The blood is speaking of, of his value. Again, we've talked about how he can value us even you know, when he spoke to the Laodiceans, he said, you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. But yet he gave them the greatest promises to reign and rule with him and to overcome with him because he saw value and he wanted to reclaim that. He wanted them to be on the right track. And he saw so much value in us as sinners that he went and died for us. But look at the value that he cared so much to pay the price when he looked upon us in our sins and that he looks upon us through this blood that was shed. How much was this blood worth? It says in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And you were ransomed not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There's the Passover story. We're going to be celebrating how the lamb without blemish or spot was, was slaughtered so that the blood could be uh, put over on the doorpost to protect them and to redeem them, to save them out of Egypt. But look at this, that if someone were to give you gold and silver, you'd be pretty happy, right? If someone were to ransom you with valuable gold and silver, and he's saying, but these are just perishable things. These are just rocks. It wasn't with perishable things. It wasn't with even the most valuable of perishable things, but it was with the blood of Jesus, which is of more value than any worthless rocks. Well, gold and silver aren't worthless, you say. They are when you compare them with the glory of God. In fact, you know, gold is spoken of is going to be nothing but pavement in the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. But that's the value he placed on us. He placed so much value on us that it wasn't just with the highest things we esteem as riches. It's with the unsearchable riches of the blood of Christ. And so the blood speaks one last thing to us, invitation. It means that you can come to his throne. You're coming to a throne of grace. And that you uh, can receive mercy. And, and it's, you, don't have to, you don't have to put blood on the altar. We don't have to slaughter the lamb. You know, in the Old Testament, the priests, they put blood on their earlobe, on their right thumb, and on their toe. It was a mess. There was blood on the altar. Why was all this stuff, uh, why was it so bloody? Why was it so messy? And I think one of the reasons for that is to be a symbol, a sign to show us that sin is messy. And sin is costly. And that sin results in death. It's funny that blood would show death. But also it says that life is in the blood. It's, it's, a, it's a very complex thing, this blood. We, we see blood coming out of one who dies, like Jesus, but then the life of the blood applied to us does something to us in our spirit and strengthens us and gives us invitation to come before the throne of God where we don't have to bring the, these bloody sacrifices. That's what we call the atonement of Christ, the covering of of our sins. But the blood did more than just cover the sins. It took away the sins. It, it's not just covering, it's cleansing. Cleansing. That means it's gone. The dirt is gone. You're not covered. You, you know, in the Old Testament, it was always just a covering. But the blood of Jesus Christ speaks something better than the blood of the animal sacrificed in the Old Testament. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses, takes away our sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, they overcame him by the blood, and so can we. 
and they overcame him by the word of the testimony. So the blood, I tell you, has been speaking. The, bl the blood spoke to God, to Satan, to us. The, the blood speaks God's love for us, God's value for us. It speaks invitation. And so as a result, we speak. You know, the Bible talks a lot about our words and our confession. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. There is confession. And it's not just with your mouth, but it's with your life. And if you have applied the blood, if you've been affected by the goodness of God, receive Christ because he laid down his life for you and later rose again to bring you into his eternal kingdom, then you should have a word of testimony. You should have something that's happened to you. You are one person before you believe in Jesus. Then you apply the blood and the forgiveness of sins and receive him, and you are a different person on the other side of that. You should have a testimony. If you don't have a testimony, you can get one today by saying, Lord, I need you. I turn to you. I follow you. I turn away from this. I receive this reconciliation. I receive the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the shed blood. What do I do next now? It's not about earning anything, but it's a response of gratitude. And then it's a response of what you speak. You have a testimony. And when I first got saved, I was sharing my story with everybody because I couldn't keep it to myself. I got so excited. I had discovered what it's all about. I had discovered why we're here, where we're going. You know, the big thing in the world is what's the meaning of life? And there's all kinds of people out there who are pondering the meaning of life. What's it all about? And I came to know Jesus, and I had those questions, and then all of a sudden it all made sense. The story is clear. We were created for God to do his will and to usher in his kingdom. It all came together, and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I had a testimony, and some people responded to my testimony, but the more I spoke it, the more I felt empowered by it. Oh, it didn't feel good when people rejected me, but there's something to the power of a testimony. And I used to get in these debates with atheists. I don't know if any, any of you have had these talks. It's not really a good idea, but... Um, we talk, and there's apologetics, and you can make arguments, and there's reasoning, and you find out that people just don't reason on the same level, and they don't listen to good arguments and things. It's not really worth getting into like that. But one thing I found is they couldn't respond to my testimony. Like I, I finally said, okay, okay, enough about all this, this stuff, but how do you explain me, I said. How do you explain me? I was a lover of sin. I was a partier. I cared for nobody but myself. I was a jerk. I'm getting better at that, by the way. I've still got a little bit, um, no. Uh, but I, I was just like so self-centered, self-focused. I was into the drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And God came into my life and changed me. How do you explain that? And they, they don't have an answer for that. Except one guy said to me once, oh, give yourself some credit. You know, you did good. I was like, oh, right, I'm glad you think so highly of me that I can make that kind of change. No, you can't just make that change. You can't become a new creation like that. And if you do, it's only going to be for a little bit you're going to fall back. So your testimony is powerful in that sense. But it's not just your story. It's not just your, your how I came to Christ testimony. But your word of testimony should be, like I said before, what God says about you. Oh, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're a new creation. You were a sinner. You are saved by grace. 
yes, of course you're going to sin. Don't get hung up on that. But who you are in your essence now, you are a new creation, the righteousness of God. God says you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. God says that you are blessed. God calls you his dear child. Ephesians 5.1, imitate God as dear children. So no longer do you give the word of testimony that I'm just a, a worthless, I, I don't know how God can bear with me, how God can deal with me. You know, Start talking the way God talks about you, and it's not being arrogant or proud, it's just saying the truth. God calls me his dear child. Uh, you know, it's hard to say that sometimes. It's like, can I say that? I feel like I'm lying. You got to go by faith and say, that's what the word says. My word of testimony is the word in this book. And I want to agree with what this says. This word does not say that the saints of God are to beat themselves and call themselves, woe is me. They're to say, blessed is me. Because we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's empowering. You know, you start to think like you're down and out and you're just, uh, how can God tolerate me? You can get through life that way. But if you start to concentrate on the love of God and, and declare the love of God, and declare that all things work together for good, and declare what God's word says, that's what gives you the power and the strength and the, the little extra oomph in your step. Some, anybody need oomph? I need, I need a big oomph sometimes. And that's the biggest time. That's the temptation to say, man, it's dark, it's heavy, it's tough. That's when I need to speak it when I don't feel like it. And I'll speak it until I feel like it. That's how you overcome the enemy. Because of the blood and your word lines up with it. All right, but now here's the part that a lot of people may not like. There's an extra one. A lot of people quote this verse. And they say, you can overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And they stop. But there's a third thing here, and that is, and they love not their lives unto the death. And this is a difficult word for us today in our me culture. This is a me culture. I want it now. I want it for me. I deserve happiness. I deserve to have a I deserve Burger King. It's a me culture. It's all about getting my, my good stuff. And this is saying... That's not the overcoming way. The overcoming way is to love not your life unto the death. Jesus said, he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. He'll gain it. So there's something more than just an immediate gratification. And that's something we don't understand. And I look back at some of the saints in the scriptures, and I'm in awe. Sometimes we get hung up on miracles and say, how could that happen? I get hung up when I think about Moses being in the luxury of Pharaoh's house, having all he needs, every comfort you could imagine, and yet he chooses not to identify with Pharaoh, but with the children of Israel who are slaves. I, how does that happen? Well, it says because he persevered as seeing him who is invisible. He had a look at something greater than just the immediate now. And, and God comes to Moses after they made the golden calf and says, if you want, I'll wipe away Israel and make a new nation out of you. And, you know, we might have thought, hey, that sounds pretty good. I mean, they were bothering me, too. And, uh, you know, I could have a whole nation under me. And Moses says, no, no, no. If you, you, what, what will the Egyptians say if they see that? Moses lived for a cause bigger than himself. And that's foreign language to a lot of people today. Living for something bigger than yourself. There was Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were taken into captivity in Babylon. And they offered... 
them the king's choicest meals and the wine. And Daniel and the boys refused it. They said, we'll just eat vegetables. Think of that. I mean, you're taken into captivity, but then you have the blessing. Oh, I'm blessed. I've been brought into the king's palace, and now they're offering me meals. Oh, that must be the favor of God. That's what I would think. And yet they they thinking not for themselves. They're thinking, nope, we're not going to do that. Of course, in that sense, he said he didn't want to defile himself. I don't know if there was something about those meals that would be defiling, but he was holding true to something above what his flesh might be going for. And then there's one of the biggest examples, I think, that really amazes me, and that's Uriah the Hittite. Of course, you know that story. David took his wife and then wanted to bring Uriah home from the battle, get him drunk, and hopefully he was going to go in to see his wife, and that would have cleared David up, right? But Uriah the Hittite chose not to go see his wife because how could I do that while my comrades are out there on the battlefield? That, to me, is amazing. That's loving not your life. I mean, again, I would have thought, wow, that's the favor of God. He brought me back, and I can actually see my wife. God is so good. And you know what? I don't think it would have been wrong if he took that approach. And I don't think it's wrong when we take that approach. I'm just making a point here that he wasn't looking just to his own self. He was, he was loving not his life for the sake of others. He had a bigger cause. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. Most of people out there today, and we're all prone to it, we don't understand this, living for a bigger cause. But if you want to be an overcomer, you must exchange your cause for God's cause. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. It's just a simple exchange. You let go of the temporary in order to gain the eternal. You let go of what is small, tiny, and minimally satisfying in order to gain what is rich, full, and abundant. Consider the pearl of great price. You see in Matthew 13, 45 to 46, do we have that? There, Jesus told the parable of a man Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And some people teach this to say this is a picture of Jesus seeing the, the church and he went and bought the church. That, you know, okay. But I really think the point of this is just talking about the principle of good investing. You know, the merchant... Uh, knew something about exchange and about gains. The merchant sold everything he had when he found that pearl of great price because he understood that it was worth the temporary loss of his inventory and that he would have a much greater return in the end. That's the simple idea. You just have to have knowledge and be a wise investor and you're going to get back something even more valuable than that pearl of great price. But a lot of people don't get that. They don't get the revelation of the blood of the Lamb and how precious that is and how it makes you precious to God and how it, it purchased us for everything good eternally that is now and is to come. And so we get, we, we get short-sighted, nearsighted, and we click and adjust to the things that are natural of the flesh and of the world rather than saying, nope, all that I'm putting away 
I found something else. I, I want that pearl of great price. And this stuff, you know, this, this is all just temporary, small, and minimally satisfying. What God has is rich, full, abundant, and eternally satisfying. And there's the overcoming strength there. When you love not your life unto the death, you are saying that I have a greater life and I'm avoiding a greater death. And that gives me hope as I go through this particular trial. That gives me hope as I go through this particular loss. That gives me hope as I count what I have and say, what have I got? I have the hope of everything because I've laid it all down. I've seen the pearl great price and I'm just waiting for the ship to come in. But some people are waiting for ships to come in and they've never sent the ship out. You got to send it out if you want it to come back in. And that's the key. So, when you get a revelation of the glory and love of God, this all comes more naturally, but sometimes you're going to have to take a step of faith and first make that initial investment that seems like a loss. But we can get to it. Who can attain to this kind of... Can you be like Daniel, Moses, or, or Uriah in that sense? Paul got there. You know, when Paul was uh, heading to Jerusalem, the prophets came up to him. Do we have this one? Acts 21 to 13. They said, don't go, you're going to be bound and all that. And then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. There it is. You know, why, you know they're all looking at the, the immediate, the natural. But Paul had a testimony and it was, it was something that just drove him and fueled him. And he couldn't even listen to the the counsel that he was getting, save yourself. It's like, what do I care about myself? I've already lost myself. There's something greater than myself. It's the name of the Lord Jesus. How many of us are there? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many want to be there? I want to be there. Have I arrived? I think we're growing. I think you can get there, and I would like to be able to say that. Maybe I can. Maybe one day I feel like I can. Maybe another day I don't feel like I can. That's okay. God has grace. But as long as we're moving forward, we've got that as the standard, and we know that that's where the treasure is. Amen? That's where the treasure is. That's where the eternal life is. And that's where the overcoming of the wicked one is. And if you can overcome the wicked one, you can overcome anything. And Jesus says you can. And that's how the martyrs did it. That's how we can do it. And all you got to do is apply the blood, speak, with your mouth and with your life, the word of testimony, and love not your life unto the death. Lose your life for Jesus' sake and let his life fill you and move you and push you forward. He will carry you if you'll invite him in and bring him to that special throne place in your heart. Hallelujah.